BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. This episode is brought to you by Harris Resort SoCal. Nestled against a rolling hillside and just down the road from Palomar Mountain, guests at Harris Resort SoCal can expect gorgeous views, friendly staff, available night and day, to encourage everyone to have a great time. When I was there recently, I had a chance to dine at California's first and the nation's largest house kitchen. And it's true, the beef wellington and sticky toffee dessert are great. The restaurant is inspired by the hit TV show and features a menu approved by the Michelin star celebrity chef, Gordon Ramsay himself. Hope to see you all at Harris Resort SoCal in 2024. My name is Diane Doan. I'm an actor from British Columbia, Canada, and I've been living in LA for the last seven years, and I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for coming on the podcast, and I want to shout out to my dear friend, Ba Nguyen, uh, who's uh, introduced uh, several times, and here we are. Thank you for coming on. Of course. You know, I also have to shout out Perry Young, because he actually really, I mean, I've I've heard of, we've met, but I hadn't listened to your podcast yet, and Perry was the one that was like, oh, my sister just did it, fellow Vietnamese artist. Um, so I have to also give a little shout out to Perry oh. as well. And Perry is also uh, an actor on the show that you're on, uh, Warrior. That's right. Yes. There is a strike uh, here in Hollywood. And um, I wanted to ask you a few things about the strike, if that's OK with you. Sure. I mean, I'm going to answer it as best I can because... Um, it's a tricky subject. Like they don't, they don't give us a lot of information about what they're negotiating. I mean, I think us as artists all stand together and what we want. Um, but yeah, as much as I, I have the information, I'd love to chat with you about it. So what do you, what is the, the strike about? Yeah. I mean, as of right now, you know, the biggest, uh, talking points is residuals, um, you know, over the last I don't know what six seven years the big shift of uh, from network to streaming or cable to streaming streaming um, has happened and and the biggest discrepancy has been the fact that we haven't um, been given any information about numbers so you know on on uh, the classic cable network we get numbers after every night about like how your um, project has been doing you know. 2.3 million views, eight point, you know, in the in the world of the friends or the big bangs, like we were given these numbers. And based off those numbers, we were given residuals. So the more popular your show is, the more money you can make. And with the streaming world, they basically have given very, very minimal percentage. I mean like pennies 
and we don't get the number. So we don't know, um, you know, if our show is doing well and we're not compensated. So there was this article going around. I know I'm rambling right now, so cut me off. But there was this article going around saying that in order to qualify for SAG Health, a typical actor has to do three guest star spots a year. And then you qualify for SAG Health, which I think is like $26,000. It might be a bit more now. But on streaming, we have to do something like nine episodes, nine guest star roles. And, you know, anyone who even gets three guest star roles, I mean, that's a working actor. I mean, in this day, that's like a real success, let alone the 1% or if you're lucky enough to be a series regular. And so we're all just kind of tailspinning about there's so many actors in SAG that don't get to be a part of our healthcare system. And we're not getting compensated the way that we think is ultimately fair. Um, So that's really what we're fighting for. And then um, AI is a huge issue. Our likeness, um, taking our voice and um, our picture likeness and and just making so much money and we don't see anything. Yeah. Oh, Ken, can I just pause and say that my gardener is here? Okay. Yeah. You know, a few years ago, I had a friend over at Netflix. I mean, this is like maybe 10 years ago. And I had asked him, you know, just to sort of like talk a little bit about numbers because I was really interested in the distribution model. He was so tight-lipped and I'd never seen that sort of like that sense of security coming out of an outfit like um, a, a stream or a production company. At the time, I didn't really think much of it. But as years went on, I realized that the streamers don't share any of their numbers. And I always wondered why. I mean, it's such a huge benefit to them, right? Like, yeah. you know, there was an article that came out about these CEOs that are making hundreds of millions of dollars. And then on the other side of it, you know, right now there, yes, the SAG strike is looming, but the WGA strike has been going on for 73 days now. And there's writers that, you know, can't make ends meet and they're, very much a part of you know huge shows or animated shows and it's simply just the residuals not being there and being these contracts being tied down and not being able to take on other work um but the hard thing is now it's not even our industry it's like you know we live in la the entertainment industry is so leaked and connected to everything else that you see these mom and pop shops that are ultimately suffering like you know, I have a, a dry cleaner right down the street and their businesses are mainly all these studios that we live around or these post, you know, sound studios that normally do all the ADR. They're just sitting around twiddling their thumbs. There's no work for anyone. Um, but the sad reality, in my opinion, is these studios, it's not hurting them. It's like a it's like a a, a summer break for them. You know, they get to now go off on these summer vacations because ultimately it's not like they're losing real money that is life-changing for them. Yeah. And meanwhile, it's uh, really all the folks that are, you know, working folks that are being really affected with this strike, looming strike. It's heartbreaking. And if you're not working in the next few weeks and months, what are you going to be doing? Well, um, it's the, the year already is slower than average, um, I think it was reported like 18 pilots 
were auditioning during pilot season as opposed to like regular 46. So we kind of braced ourselves for a slower season, a slower year. Um, I I was on Warrior and co- contractually obligated to that. So I, I couldn't really audition much. So it was a lot for me of, um, you know, waiting for the show to come out, getting the chance to promote it, um, really stand behind the season that we created. And I mean, now with the writer's strike, it's even quieter. So it's a little bit of a break, but um, I'm trying to do my own thing. I'm, I'm, my dream is to direct one day. And so I'm in the process of writing a short that hopefully I'll get made soon. And I'm trying to create opportunities for myself because right now it just seems like um, the industry is really suffering quiet. I was going to ask you about that uh, on minute 45, like, Oh, oh. <laughs> but we'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> I, I, uh, I am so happy and delighted to hear that that is in the works for you because I think that's the natural progression, right? You are in front of the camera, but you know, you have creative uh, instincts and you want to tell your own story. So the next progression would be for you to go out and create your own thing. It's so funny you say that, Ken, because I feel like for such a long time, like when I first moved to LA, you hear about these like general meetings, you know, generals, you're all going to be set on these generals with these studios. And they would ask me like, what do you want to do? And I remember at, I think I was 25 when I moved down here, I was just like, I just want to act. And I think it was truly because I didn't know what other opportunities were out there for me. I mean, simply acting alone seemed like such a far-fetched dream that wanting more was greedy almost like I, I'm just so happy to be here. And I just, and I know, you know, I look back and I'm like, Oh gosh, she was so like young and naive and not knowing what else is out there. But you're right. It's at a time where the world is our oyster. And I feel like over the last few years, our community is getting so strong and our voices are being heard, you know, bit by bit, but these windows of opportunity or just hope is there. And um, yeah, I'm. There's so much I want to do. Yeah, it, it now is the right, definitely the right time. Now, when you look back as a young girl um, who grew up in British Columbia, what kind of world did you think that you'd be inhabiting at you know at nine years old, ten years old? Well, I'll, I grew up in a very small city um, called Abbotsford, which was about an hour outside of Vancouver. And my parents are immigrants from Vietnam and got there in 84. And, you know, so many of my friends are like, why Abbotsford? Nothing wrong with Abbotsford. It's just a very small, very religious, uh, very white town. And, you know, my mom's a Buddhist. And so, like, we just made no sense being there. I grew up with, like, one other Asian kid in school. And I... I didn't, I have no idea. I think if I stayed, I probably would have had kids at 20. And, you know, my prom date has three kids by now and has a full career and is happy living like a very grounded, very um, normal life, if you will. But that that would have been my future, 100%. And you got into dancing first, right? I mean- yeah. I, I see you at these events and I think of this like this actor and but oh I gosh. had no idea. 
You know, I, I had no idea that you come from a dance background, which was so fascinating to me because in 2010, you you danced at the Olympics um, and you actually was a backup dancer for Michael Buble. <laughs> well, I mean, no, no, no. It was one performance. I can't say that I was his backup dancer and like went on tour or anything. But yeah, I mean, I feel like like most Asian kids, like our, my parents to keep me out of trouble. And, you know, I wasn't allowed to go to sleepovers or parties. My first school dance was prom. Like I just wasn't allowed much of a social life. I think because they were scared of like what I could get myself into. Yeah. And so at a very early age, they put me in ballet and it was, you know, in hindsight, probably the most expensive daycare they could have put me in. Wow. But um, I grew up dancing like studio dancing and competitively. And then after school, is that too loud? No, we're good to go. You can't hear it? No, you're good. Oh my God. It's like distracting me, but okay, I'll keep talking. You tell me when it's bad. Though. I sure will. Okay. Um, but, you know, from dance, I'm so glad they put me in it. I learned so much about like self-discipline and leadership and these qualities that I've taken with myself into the industry. But um, yeah, I just knew at a very early age that dance was fun and it came easy to me. I don't want to sound cocky, but it came easy to me. And there was no challenge, and I just didn't necessarily want a future in that. So, you know, in Vancouver, there's this big dance scene, and it's amazing of, like, you know, a lot of movies come and shoot there, and there's always these dance scenes. But I just knew that it, it helped me, you know, pay my bills and support myself as a student. But ultimately, acting was what I wanted to try. I didn't know what possibilities were out there, but I just wanted to try. It was much more exciting to me than dance. And at what point did you make that transition? So I joined um, drama nine in high school without my parents knowing, and they had no idea until I think it was uh, grade 12 or 12th grade, as they say in America. Um, in grade 12, I did like the annual spring play and I invited my parents over because they didn't I guess they didn't realize that after school I would be at rehearsals for, they just thought I was at dance. Um, but I, I, I tried acting in, in grade nine and it was truly like a life changing class for me. I remember my teacher, Mr. Edwards, and he was so um, supportive about being vulnerable and, you know, acting in, in high school was about like a lot of improv, which still to this day makes me uncomfortable, but this unknown was really enticing for me. Whereas in dance, especially a technical um, based dance, there's a right way and a wrong way to do something. Whereas in acting, it's like all about exploration. And I don't think as, you know, a Vietnamese kid growing up in a small town, my mom was like, just blend in. Don't uh, draw any attention to yourself. And I feel like emotions weren't really allowed. You know, if you're upset, take it, deal with it when we get home. And then in this drama class, it was like being able to just be silly or cry or, you know, be angry. And it was so refreshing and I craved it so much, but that's where I really, um, the, the love of acting grew was in high school. I just talked to another fellow Canadian. Who? Andrew Fulton. I don't think I know Andrew. He is, um, 
he played uh on kim kimchi on kim's convenience oh my gosh okay yeah and uh run the verbs uh he was on the podcast recently i haven't aired it yet but we talked about this idea of improv changing his life in grade nine so crazy it's so crazy that you have brought that up and he brought it up so there's something in the water in canada's improv teachers that are that are changing lives I mean, I'm so glad that it changed his life. For me, it was terrifying. I was like, I can't, what do you mean do whatever I want? There's no, you know, we're so used to being told what to do, what to think, how to act. Um, It terrified me, but yeah, I was just being given that permission to do, you know, go out there and and be whoever you want to be, I think was really. If you think about the Vietnamese culture before our time, uh, I think traditionally our parents were never given an opportunity to be them or to like fly off the handle or just to kind of improv their life. You know, uh, the, maybe the act of getting on a boat or leaving the country is the ultimate act of of improv for them. And I think out of that birth of of doing what they wanted comes our generation, our second generation that we're now able to really improv uh the, the culture of the Vietnamese, the second, you know, coming of the Vietnamese. Yeah. That sounds scary. The second coming. I didn't mean it like that, but <laughs> <laughs> I got what you meant. I got what you meant. Yeah. You know, um, and I again I I I think now uh when I think about this idea of improv, I think it should be mandatory in every high school throughout the world, you, you, every country. I I mean that would be, you know, there's there's people who take drama because it's kind of just like a free for all class. You know what I mean? Like they don't take it seriously. They don't care. And I feel like I've heard a couple actors who are like, Oh, I just, you know, I signed up just because I I wanted to fuck around. Yeah. And, but in it, they were like, that's where they found the, Mm. the real freedom and the beauty of like, Oh, there's something to this or, they found something that they were good at and they were being applauded at such a young age. And no, I agree. There's something about the arts that I feel is so important that I, I, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's like a muscle that if you could get in and develop a lot sooner and earlier, well, I think the combination of like understanding the mechanical side of dance, because what you said, it's like, there's a right and a wrong. There's a very concrete plan, but if you blend that in with like the technical side of improving. That's unstoppable. I, I I think that you are. It becomes a, a very flexible sort of tool uh, in your tool tool bag, where you can use both the structure of dance and improv. Um, and if you are fortunate at an early age to do it, like Jennifer Lopez, she was a, a backup dancer for In Living Color, and reminds me of her journey, right? And having that ability to have that sort of mechanical discipline to do the dance and remember lines and remember routines. I think it's very, there's a lot of parallels there. And you know what I will say, like, I'm so grateful for that background because almost every project I've ever been a part of has some element of of movement, you know, like it sounds like a no brainer. Like, of course you're an actor, you're, you're, you're moving around, but like, whether it's fight choreography, I did Mm. my first big thing was a Disney franchise called descendants that was singing and dancing and acting. And, in everything that I've done, there's always been, I've, I've needed to kind of go back and use that muscle memory of choreography, learning choreography, or, or even on set, like 
how many steps to hit my mark or these simple things that um, meeting other actors, it's not a natural bone for them. It's not a natural instinct for them to have. Whereas for me, it's such a no brainer. Like, yeah, it's, 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 it's been, it's embedded. embedded Yeah. Your, your kind of like your memory, your, your physical memory to do these things. Or just awareness, you know, like yeah. some, I, I joked when I first started acting, like, I don't know what to do with my arms or like, it's so awkward or you, you just, yeah. You know, I don't want to bring uh, your fiance into this story, but I'm going to do it because okay. we're talking about that. Yeah. Manny Jacinto, um, beautiful man. And I think that you guys met um, in the world of dance and he wasn't an actor when you guys met, right? You are so right. He's going to, if he was here, he would be rolling his eyes. I know it. Um, we met during, in a, in a, a hip hop fundamentals training program. I was more of a technical background ballet. I was a professional contemporary dancer in Vancouver for a few years. Um, but I was learning different styles and he too was in this, um, fundamentals training program called soldiers. And that's where we met. And it was a time where, he was also figuring out what he wanted to do. He, um, I don't think many people know this. He's an engineer. He's a civil engineer wow. um, by trade. And he just hated it. He's like, this is not my life. He did it for a couple of years as well. And in that experience, that work experience, he was like, this is just not for me. Um, so he pivoted into arts, which his, I'm sure any parent, it's their biggest nightmare. Um but we met there and it was at a time where I was at this crossroads of like, I could be a professional dancer and I could be, I'm sure I could be happy doing it and make a living and fine. Or at the time acting was really on the back burner for me or me. And I'm like, what if I truly give it my all, you know, kind of let go of this dance um, and, and go for it. And it was at a time where Manny was like, well, what is acting? You know, like what uh, classes do you take? What, uh, what agency are you with? What, what are auditions like? And we, when I picked it back up, he really started. And so we kind of were always in each other's lives in and out, in and out. And, you know, Manny is who he is. He's the hardest working actor I know. And like, I'm not just saying that because he is my partner, but he's worked so hard for everything he has. And in Vancouver, I remember being so jealous of him because he started and his work ethic is insane. He ended up getting, whether it's like a co-star or, you know, like a one-liner, whatever, on every single job in Vancouver, just like any project was in town, he would book something on it to a point where I really do think he outgrew. He may not think that, but in my eyes, there was nothing left for him to do in Vancouver. So he, he came down to LA, booked the good place. And it's just been like, it's been incredible to witness. Um, we weren't together then, but we we got together in LA and, and we've been together ever since. You know, the, the reason I made that split second decision to bring him up is because yeah. the, the dance background, all right? But yeah. the trajectory of people who are not from here that make it, uh, and you brought this thing that I actually wanted to talk about, which is, is it hard work? Is it looks? Is it charisma? Is it that it factor? Is it brains? What is it? It's so nebulous to people on the outside that make it. And and being somebody who's with another person who's on the same journey and trajectory, you can look at it from an outside in, inside out, because you have that luxury to see both. 
What do you think it is? I, you know, I think, I mean, everyone say it, it's like preparation meets luck, right? We hate the word luck, but there is an element of luck. You just have to, the, the what are the chances, the right opportunity and the yeah. right character and the right thing just so happens to be ready for you. But it's about also you being ready. I'm not saying anyone can go in there and book a job. It's yeah. like, how many, how much work have you put in to be ready for this? There's a lot of pressure, you know, being, whether it's a number one or being a first time series regular, or even being a first time guest star, like those nerves we all have been through, you have to be ready. I think there is something about anyone outside of the States, whether it's Canada, you know, for us or Australians or Brits, there's this common thread of why are all these foreigners coming in and taking these jobs? And I think it's because we've been instilled, at least in Vancouver, um, my experience, my generation of actors, we were told how hard it is to even get a work visa to come to LA. It's like, don't even try. It's not worth it. It's so fucking hard. Just stay in Vancouver, be a local actor. You can make a living if you work really hard and so it's just that idea of how hard it's going to be that I feel like once we come to LA we know how much work it took to get that work visa that first you know get a manager get someone to sponsor you down that we hit the ground running it's that embedded work ethic that's in us I I truly believe it's that no but yeah there's something to say about my first time in LA and this innate confidence in the American actors that I looked at in awe. I was like, oh my God, if I could just have an ounce of your confidence, like the way American actors or Americans in general, I know it's a broad generalization, but like you guys hold yourself with so much ease. It, at least it comes off that way. Like there's no anxiety. It's just come to the room. This is who I am. You know, and that that to me was so refreshing because here as a Canadian, it's just like, like, pick me or like, I'll do whatever you need. It, it gives off that energy that like, yeah. I don't want to say desperate, but a little bit, maybe. I am looking for the words to describe this idea of American confidence. My mother talked about it a lot. She talked about it all the time and she would always say, look at, I, I say this all the time, but she would always say, look at the guys at the airport. You could tell who are the Americans. And I always wonder what she meant by that. And now I'm hearing it, you know, from you. And I think it's a very, um, it's a very apt thing to bring up. It's this uh, air of, confidence but sometimes it's a little bit vapid it's a little bit like not knowing really why mm -hmm. other than the fact that there's no sense of and i'm we're both generalizing here but there's like this maybe sometimes there's this lack of self-awareness mm -hmm. this episode is brought to you by somkai distillery my only go-to gin company established in 2018 somkai distillery is vietnam's first gin distillery founded by daniel Nguyen a Vietnamese American from Southern California. No matter how many people I have at my parties, we are always pouring Somkai Gin. Somkai Gin is handcrafted in small batches and prioritizes using botanicals and ingredients that are native and heirloom to Vietnam. 
The result is a product uniquely Vietnamese in taste and aroma. Song Kai is now growing to include rice wine and traditional Vietnamese herbal liqueurs similar to Amaro. Song Kai prides itself in Vietnam from the farmers who grow the fruits and herbs to the artists behind the artwork and design. Song Kai is a community effort of people who are proud to be Vietnamese and collectively embody the spirit of Vietnam. I, but, but think about that in, in our industry, that goes a long way. <laughs> like truly, like you walk into a room and there's, whether it's a girl or a guy, they think they're hot shit, but they emanate that energy just being like, oh, who is that? <laughs> I feel like as Canadians is like, we don't have that. We do not have that. Who is that factor? It's just, we're happy to be there. We just want to like work and we're, it, it's such a stark difference. And I feel like when I first came to America, I was like, God, what I would do for that little slice of confidence or what is life must be just that much easier, you know, like. Oh, I'm so glad we're talking about this, this, this dissecting this psychological, you know, I just uh, finished um, the Wham documentary and, you know, Wham, the, the George Michael. Yeah. The, yes. Yeah. Yeah. They, they just had it released on, on Netflix and. It's two, two men who are from England, uh, from, from Britain, who started Wham! And their run cycle was only four years. And then they created all these wonderful hits, right? But George Michael was not confident. He was not somebody who believed in, in himself. Andrew Ridgely, the, 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 the other partner, who we don't even, most of us don't even know that there was another person and when you watch it, you begin to see that over the years, doing the thing that brings you bliss, doing the thing that you discover that is making you tick, making you dri that drives you, is the thing that eventually brings you to the status of like George Michael and his confidence. It mm -hmm. is the most mind blowing piece of like, uh, you know, documentary that in recent, you know, reminds me of because I mean, let's face it, a lot of us immigrant children are not as confident as, you know, like an American, you know, like these Americans that we're looking at. But it, this stuff can be developed over time as you just narrow down your path and really buckle down and, and just hone your craft. And you just develop this. Uh, and the Wham documentary really showcases that in a beautiful way. I have not heard of this. I'm going to go watch that. But but there is something to say to that. Like, you're right. Finding what it is, finding your people, yeah. your community. I couldn't stress that enough. Nurturing this um, passion. But like community I want to bring up has been huge. I feel like very recently did I find my community. But coming from like my experience in Vancouver, I can only speak from my experience. There is a, there is a large acting community, but I, I, I did not know of any Asian acting community in Vancouver during my time there. When I moved to LA, I remember going to my first Cape event and being in awe, like in hordes, we came out to support one another. I, everywhere I looked, I'm like, I grew up watching this person. I can't believe I'm in the same room as this person. And it opened my eyes about the numbers that we have here. And it's so beautiful. And so any, you know, specifically Asian artist that moves down or any Canadian actor that 
whether they hit me up on Instagram or I meet them at a certain small event and they just ask how my experience was moving down. I'm like, any community event that you hear about, come out. Where It's such a, I, I realize that some people don't feel this way, but I've, I've always felt very welcome, you know, open arms, come and join us. The community is the one saving grace. I feel like as, as an, as a Vietnamese Canadian actor, when I came down here, just finding, um, yeah, finding each other was such a big thing that I've never experienced before. Yeah. I want to contain my excitement, but I'm just going to go full throttle here. Go for it. <laughs> shout out to Cape and shout out to Jess Vu and Michelle. Michelle. Yeah. Everyone. Everyone over at Cape. Uh, Jess Vu has this uh, Facebook group called Viet and Entertainment, and she hosts these events. And I remember when she first started out a few years ago, you know, there's like 20, 30 people there, 40 maybe. And, um, you know, the recent one she just did um, in L.A. was at this beautiful, like, open, cool bar. And Was it the potluck? Um, no. I think I was in New York. I was, there was one that she hosted recently that I couldn't recently. come to. Yeah, it was recent. And talk about community you walk in there and it was like Vietnam entertainment in la and you just seen there were like hundreds of us and you know people have been you know part of this for 20 years since the late 90s early 2000s to now and there are new people there it's just everybody's so embracing of where we are and it's not that hard to break in when you foster these kind of relationships in this community right I mean, you still have to do the work and you got to go you know, really perfect your craft, but it's not as hard as it was maybe 20 years ago in the late 90s. It's, you know, we have a community, we have infrastructure for those who really put in the work. And the thing is, it's like, we just don't have to feel alone. We don't have to feel like, I feel like we're doing this by ourselves. I mean, that's just making it so much harder on yeah. yourself. You know what I mean? Like in this community, of course you have to work in the craft, but when you have something come out, we're the first ones, hopefully, to back you, to come out and support you, to shout you out, like whatever help I feel like I felt like if you need help, reach out. Because there's, there's even if it's just one person out of the thousands, yeah. there's someone out there who does want to help or who's willing to help or share their experience or or something. I, I can I just say, I recently met Kyujin in person the other, and I just about fainted like i saw her mm. the night before and i i didn't have the nerve to go up to her and then i was in a room with her a much more intimate room and my one in is dustin wing and i just had to be like i you know my parents flipped out i feel like it was the first time they think that i'm legit <laughs> or like did something like oh you're actually this is maybe working out for you but i um had to send them a photo it was like one of those pride and joy moments being like oh wow what a cool life. And talk about somebody who's like really about the community, you know, um, for all the, the producers and, and directors and writers, you know, when, whenever they reach out to Kyuchin, she shows, she shows up, you know, we, I've had a few events here in LA and she always shows up. I reach out to her and she's so generous with her time, but that also is very telling of why she gets so much work because mm -hmm. she may, you know, she's 80 something years old. And she puts in the effort at her age to show up. And she's always working. Every time I see her, she's like, go button guac. Can I? <laughs> <laughs> she wouldn't speak Vietnamese to me. I spoke Vietnamese to her. And I think she was like, maybe she didn't think I knew Vietnamese. <laughs> but I would speak Vietnamese. And then she'd like almost like 
do that polite smile and then answer in English. I'm like, no, I can legitimize me. I can do it. <laughs> so funny. She's so sweet. And yeah, I feel like she still has that um, like twinkle in her yeah. eyes when it comes to acting. Like I asked her how she was doing and because I brought up Dustin, she looked at me and she goes, you know, I'm working with him right now. And can you believe it? I didn't have to audition for this role. And I'm like, well, first of all, why would you? Crazy, right? like, she's so humble. But, but she's so humble and still so like excited about the work and the opportunities. And I hope to, I hope to be her when I grow up. You, you are her, you're doing what she does and Very you nice. have a long runway and, you know, we all are, you know, um, sitting in, in the chairs watching what you do. And I want to bring this up. Congratulations. This is a third season of warrior. And, um, it's, you know, it's a big feat, uh, for a show to go, you know, to season two and now three. I mean, listen, we have been through the ringer. Mm. Anyone, we started off as Cinemax, I think. People know that um, yep. not many people watched Cinemax. It's a very small platform. And so I think for two years, like it got to a point where Manny had to be like, stop acting so surprised when people come up to you and like say they love the show. Because for me, I'm like, oh my God, you someone watched it because we had such a small platform um, and we just didn't have the eyes. And I'm so grateful to anyone who has taken the time out of their day to watch this show that we're so proud of, but we've been canceled. We switched over to, this is our third network now, right. technically, um, from Cinemax to HBO Max and now The Max. And now there's like a, there's this strike, there's a writer strike that's going on, a looming actor strike to the point where we're like, we're just, I'm very aware of how lucky we are to have made a third season whether a fourth comes, you know, we just hope that people enjoyed enough to tune in and so that they can get the numbers and, and maybe renew us or not. But I tried to be as present and as grateful as possible during the season of filming, during the season three, just because I knew how the, what the odds were of yeah. coming back. And the fact that all of us signed back on and wanted to be a part of it, it just goes to show how special the whole creative team, the message we're bringing, like Bruce Lee's legacy is, is, is being carried on a little bit through us. Like it's insane. It's insane. Um, For yeah. audience uh, who are wondering what uh, warrior is, oh. it's a show that um, was developed from Bruce Lee's treatment that didn't get made uh, in his lifetime. And uh, his daughter, Shannon Lee, is one of the executive producers who picked it up and, um, you know, worked it out. So this is uh, Bruce Lee's legacy, um, the the idea that he had for, for a show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, I think six or seven years ago, uh, Justin Lin called up Shannon Lee to just see if there was anything in her archives that she found interesting that maybe they can work on in this 12 page treatment for warrior. Um, I think it was called Assam at first, but there were a few key, key, you know, San Francisco, Chinatown, big builders, key characters that Bruce Lee himself uh, envisioned. And then Jonathan Tropper came on and, and three of them kind of shopped it out and got it made, which is and, crazy. 
And Justin Lin, for also for audience, uh, if that name sounds familiar, he is uh, the guy who did, um, who brought the Fast and Furious franchise up to <laughs> billions of dollars. Who knows? Exactly. Yeah. He revived that whole franchise, yeah. which is crazy to think. Yeah, he's. Uh, I had Hugh Ho on the other day and and talked about. Um, Hugh was a producer that uh, you know went to Sundance to go attend uh, Better Luck Tomorrow when it was screening at, uh, which is Justin Lin's first uh, feature film. You know, there's so much legacy in in the Asian American uh, community, and it's starting to to unroll uh, and it's starting to show up. But we're not there yet. I, I think we cannot rest yet. It, it's so funny, you know, I, I I know that we look to the Black community and how supportive they are of one another. And I think it's so beautiful. Like they will, if there is a movie, they will show up, they will sell out the theaters, they will make it a big block, like box office hit. And I feel like the Asian community still is not quite there yet. I don't know what it is. I don't know if we're just like picky about what we support or what we get behind, but um we have a long way to go. Still. We have a long way to go. Yeah. It's this uh, idea of like what Viet Thanh Nguyen says, we should have the benefit of being able to tell a plenitude of stories like, you know, white mainstream, black right. mainstream can make movies that bomb and, and that are not good, but they could have this like this plethora of viewpoints of storytelling where we have to be so precious about what story we tell that we got to represent and do it the right way. It's like, no, fuck that. Let's do Joyride and let's do, yeah, right? It's just- Black Lives, let's do Beef, who just got nominated for 12 Emmys. Like, let's do it all. But I feel like the pressure, I was just talking about this in in another interview. I feel like this whole model minority bullshit takes- Yeah. Like, it's like, it has a chokehold on us unless it's perfect. Like there's this expectation of if we're, if we have to put something out, it has to be perfect. It has to be like this huge success, this huge blockbuster. And that's, that handicaps us. It it doesn't allow for mistakes to happen or I'm not saying failures, but like we should be able to make whatever it is that we want to make and not, yeah, live up to these expectations of like, I don't know. It's a whole I, I, lot. Of, it's it's yeah. it's murky waters. Well, I think eventually we'll get to where you know we have our Jordan Peels and you know we have our we have our Minaris, we have our yeah. you know, comedies, we have whatever the hell we want to have, um, and people will go out and support it. And if it crashes and burn, it's fine because we get fine. to tell our story, right? You know, what are some of the things that um, you think allowed you to get onto the warrior show? Oh man, we can talk about this forever. I, <laughs> I dealt with a lot of like, this was a big, um, thing for me for a long time. Like I, I had a lot of negative connotation towards this. Um, I've been, I, I got to preface by saying I've been working on my mental health for a very long time now. But before that, so so the story goes, I'm, I'm talking in circles. The story is I, I was the last person cast. And, um, you know, the producers, it was this big worldwide search, I guess. And they, they saw whoever they could see or whoever was available. And they didn't quite find the role of Mai Ling yet. 
and they were willing to shoot the pilot. And there was like a two month break between the pilot and the rest of the season where they were hoping to then find whoever was going to play my Ling and then just shoot out whatever missed in the pilot at the top of the rest of the season. Got it. Um, I got the role and it was such a, uh, a quick turnaround. Like I, I got the audition, but then I met with Jonathan before and, you know, we, we talked about the show. I had questions about like the nudity aspect and I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it. Um, and he was like, okay, well, can you give me the tape by tonight? I'm like, no, I need time. I did it in like 24 hours. And then I heard back the next day, had a meeting with the director. And by like, I think this was Friday, I handed in my audition. By Wednesday, I was on a plane to Cape Town. Oh, like it was just the craziest turnaround that in my head, maybe this is like, you know, the Canadian side of me. In my head, I was like, they were so desperate to find anyone that they settled. Wow. And so and that's what I told myself. And so all of season one, if you can believe this, Ken, it was the hardest show, the hardest project I've ever done because my whole mindset the whole time was like, do not fuck this up. Like you could be fired. You need to prove to them why they took a chance on you. And I couldn't. And looking back, it's so sad because I'm like, why couldn't I just relish in like, yeah. The worldwide search and you got to be the person who got yeah. the yeah. where do you think that came from though in your past i mean is it some trauma that that you think it's, or is it i feel like it's this like need to prove myself like nothing ever in my head it's like you know my parents for a long time still they're supportive now but for a very long time they were like oh god just go back to school finish your degree and just get a normal job or like we really worry about you and prove it's always this constant like i can do this i can you know i can take care of myself and um i don't know why i i jumped to the negative i really don't but I, it's it's been like a lot of work on myself to to just embrace that you know try to enjoy this moment. So all of season one, really hard. <laughs> season two was like a little better, but not until the pandemic happened, did I do like a, a lot of work on my mental health and reflecting inward. And like, um, when we did get picked back for season three, I told myself, I'm like, I'm so ready to own this character. And like, I'm the female lead of my own show. Oh, wow. What the heck? And like, I'm going to come onto that set and I'm going to own this shit, own it. And, and, and I feel like I, I did. And I'm so proud of this season. Like everyone's work, my, my work, I'm so proud of it. And I feel like it shows in the show this season. Like we all came back knowing what we already lost and like, we just brought it. It's like, what else could we lose? Yeah. The show's canceled. It's been canceled before. It'll have, you know, when that day comes, but let's just give it our all. And I feel like I came back much stronger in my mind and like ready for this third season. And it was wonderful. So hard, but wonderful. You know, thank you so much for opening up and sharing that part. Oh, I, you know, sometimes we think we're the only ones who are going through this like mental hell. And, you know, by hearing you talk about it, it 
gives us all permission to to live in the grace of the darkness, the shadows of not feeling a hundred percent about ourselves. Right. I I you know the last year have gone through that too, and and I think about my daughter because she has this inclination to go into showbiz, and I'm like, this is one of the the toughest routes that a human being can go through because there's a nebulous abstract uh, negativity that happens naturally. And if you don't have that though, if you don't have the self-doubt, I would venture to say, how good are you really? Because (laughs) right with the self-doubt that you hear from what you just said and from Wham, uh, George Michael, you begin to carve out this persona of getting better and tracking your feelings and tracking your inadequacies and all this mental work that we do as artists and performers and people who entertain, we start to, to, to grind and think about it. And so it's like, it's a double-edged sword. You know, when I think about my daughter, I'm like, I don't know, but if she does go through it and she puts the work in the payoff of, you know, that, that, that awareness and the growth is, is invaluable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I see, I I've seen actors or, you know, you really don't know everyone's full story or, or, or what they're going through, but there are some, some actors and I think I'm so happy for them. Like I, you, you know, everything comes quote unquote easy for them or there's no worries and they're so confident. And I can't even be mad at that. I'm like, if that's your story, yeah. I'm like, go run with it. But you're right. I feel like this, um, you always need a little bit of, I don't want to say self-doubt, but something motivating in order for you to chase something more and to like constantly be improving on yourself, on your craft, on your, you know, at whatever it is. Like, I, I do feel like you just need a little bit. Too much is too painful, but a little bit. You know, I I'd, uh, Last year, I went through like a ton of memoirs, like uh, Matt McConaughey, uh, Will Smith, uh, Viola Davis. And you just start to see the patterns of the mental health you start to see, you know, what really um, you, what kind of barriers you need to really punch through to kind of make it in this business. And it's just really, everybody really does go through it, even though they, it doesn't seem like that on the surface. But when you start to read these memoirs, you realize like they're suffering just as much as we are. Um, and it's all a matter of like, are we just going to throw in the towel or you just keep going and seek mental health professionals that can, you know, kind of like navigate and Sherpa you through the next uh, incline. Right. Um, and I think that's sort of like the key is to take take moments to to figure that mental health part out or we break or we we really perish. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'll, I, I'm, I'm jumping on what you said of like, do we just keep going? And I feel like this you know, the theme of like perseverance is such a big thing, especially in this industry of like, we just went through a three year pandemic where a lot of people had to, you know, reality hits. And it's like, I got to move back home or I I just can't do this anymore. And whether it's, you know, the mental anguish of like, this is just too hard. And um, I had this, you know, Manny and I had this running joke. We're not the most talented. We're not by any means perfect but we're like but we'll be the last one standing like we'll be here till the end it's that mentality of like just do it until everyone drops out and you're standing there and 
Um, and I think business in any aspect <laughs> of business is a game of attrition. Yeah. It really is. It's a game of attrition. But with all that said, what are some of the things that inspire you beyond film, beyond storytelling? What are some of the art forms that you really uh, are, that you gravitate towards? Um, This is terrible. Not much. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like in terms of arts, acting and film and directing are like really I have so much more to learn. I feel like still that those are like my bread and butter. Um, I love watching theater, everything about the arts. Like my therapist asked, like, what are, who are you outside of acting? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't really have an answer. This is, it, it's who I am. You know, I, I can say like, I got a dog during COVID who's sleeping on her. She's right here. I, I'll pan down. No one else can see, but I'm going to show you. Oh, she's right there. <laughs> um, But I feel like, outside of acting i've really been cherishing like spending time with my this sounds so cheesy but like i moved away seven years ago and i don't ever get to see my family hmm. and that is like the one thing where i'm like whatever i can do to get back there that's what i want it's weirdly emotional but um yeah like outside my passions are just being really grateful that i can my family's still healthy in here. And I just, that's what I, that's what I do when I'm not working. I'm with them. Well, yeah, that's a, a really profound answer. Um, you know, ha not having uh, the distractions of anything beyond um, acting and film and theater uh, allows you to really grow inside and have that. It sounds like a beginner's mind for you constantly um, as you explore the world of acting. And now, um, having a little distance from your family creates this sort of like, ironically, this this bond that's even stronger. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, people have commented commented for like, you know, I, I, when we shoot in Cape Town, I try to bring my family over every year, and um, I'm very grateful that the comments are always like, "You guys are so close, like you and your sisters." It truly was just us in Abbotsford. We didn't hmm. we didn't really. Have, my parents are very you know, lone wolves in a way, their community is very small. Their community is when they go back to Vietnam, wow. you know, or like my mom's side of the family all moved to Germany. So we spent a lot of my childhood in Germany with her side of the family. But besides that, we didn't ever really grow up with barbecues or their community is so small that all we have is each other. And that's what they've instilled in me. And so anytime I get to go home, like that's my, um, like safe haven. Yeah. Now you are prepping to potentially uh, segue into directing. We we started talking about that in the beginning. Um, why yeah. directing and not the other above the line? You know, producing, writing, um, directions. Well, I will say writing is so hard yeah. not i'm not saying that directing is not hard it it doesn't come naturally to me mm -hmm. um granted i maybe i i'm not giving it a fair shot i have ideas and and but i'm like a visual learner like i can imagine i i can see how i want things done or like scenes you know and and then putting it to paper to me is the hard part but for me whether it's my dance background and and you know i i taught dance a little bit um 
later to like during school to support myself, I was a dance teacher at, at dance studios. It's everything's very visual, like choreographing scenes is very much like directing a scene. Yeah. And so in season three of Warrior, I got the opportunity to shadow directors. Um, more specifically, one that I, I, I shadowed from beginning, middle to end, like pre-production, filming, and they let me in the post was Dustin. Wow. And how incredible is yeah. it to be there and watch a Vietnamese American actor turn director, like to see that in my head was like, he can do it. That means I can do it. Wow. Like he's really paving the way. It's so empowering. He took me under his wing, you know, whatever questions I had. And it's crazy to me to think that um, he's a dear friend of mine. I can call him a friend, but he really is. And um there's something about collaborating with actors that makes it so exciting for me. Like act, I don't have their ability. Do you know what I mean? But I can, we can work together to influence them. That to me is so exciting. Um, working with cameras. I'm always like, if, if I was not shooting in season three, I was on set, you know, in some way or another, I would annoy the hell out of the camera department. Just like they'd have my little, like, you know, one of those Apple boxes and I just sit beside them and ask them like, why this, what are we doing here? Um, there's something about it. That's just fascinating. And I, and I love it. I love the collaborative work. I'm, I'm such a Virgo through and through, you know, the homework of it, yep. give it to me, bring it on. I love the prep work. I think, you know, I'm speaking now. I sound really cocky, but I'm like, I will be the most prepared. Like you don't have to doubt that I will be ready to roll. That, that's how the Virgos roll. They they have yeah. that attention to detail and that that can do attitude because of how deeply they drill down into the specifics. Yeah, and and you know what? Like I I know myself enough that I love collaboration. I can't wait to bring to life someone's writing. I don't want to. I don't need to be one of those directors that like write it, produce it, star in it, and direct. Like I don't need to do that. I I would love, you know, my lane is acting right now and I love it so much, but I also cannot wait to direct and be, you know, whether I'm given the opportunity or I make the op that opportunity happen for myself, it's going to happen. And I'm so excited. Yeah. Let's schedule right now. Uh, next year uh -huh. around this time, we'll have you back on the podcast to talk oh, about the shorts that you directed. Yeah, the pressure. No, but truly, I need I need that kind of pressure to just hold myself accountable. I mean, the more I talk about it, it's like you have to do it now. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, it's it's from where you are. It's just really doing the work at this point. Right. It's not yeah. like, you know, you, you don't have to. um it's not a black box. It's something that is doable at this point and will, which will be the transition to directing a television uh, episode or going into a feature film or that really is, I could, I could see that and hear the passion uh, that's coming through. And I, you know, Dustin started a little late with the, with the uh, directing, um, not late, but he, you know, a little bit later than you, you know, you, you're starting to really see and like go, you know, but I haven't had a conversation with Dustin in a, in a while. So I will ask him uh, when he comes on the podcast and, <laughs> and ask him when he started to get this kernel of, of directing uh, the, the bug. Yeah. Yeah. Well, today, uh, you know, as the strike looms, um, I am sending you and all of your fellow actors 
a good energy and hope that we can all get out there and be, you know, get out of this unscathed in terms of like the damage that it does to careers and, and ways of living. And I really wish the best uh, in this next year with the, with the work that you do beyond uh, just acting. Thank you so much, Ken. I appreciate your time. I hope I didn't like it's it wrapped up so quickly, but I hope it, I didn't bring it down too much with our like our serious no, talk. I, no, no, but I think that's okay. life, <laughs> Diane. I think that's life, right? Yeah. I think that's like, you know, I I think that if we're not able to take it down or bring it up and be all bubbly and you know what that we're like we're living in the moment, and I think that's the art of the conversation that we have is the truth of who we are at this moment. Um, and if you are comfortable to for me to share this with the world, I mean, that's the beauty of this exercise. Love it. Thanks again, Diane. I really appreciate it. Thank you so here. much. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all of BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.